thumbs up there. All right. Thank you for joining us for the English Sunday School class this morning at Young Southern Baptist Church. If you were watching last week or you were here last week, we began to look around at the wonders of God's creation that point to the necessity of an intelligent designer. And we discussed general evidence from nature to support creation and refute evolution. We talked about things like the laws of nature and abstracts like mathematics and information and extras like feelings and flowers and faith. And today we're going to continue the looking around portion of this study by looking at evidence from creation itself. The first thing I want to cover a little bit is time and before we get too far here. Sadly, I feel like you would be hard-pressed in either of our cultures, here in Korea or in the United States, to find a nationally recognized Old Testament scholar who professes to believe in the traditional view of a literal 24-hour day, six-day creation about 6,000 years ago. But you would also be just as hard-pressed to find any internationally recognized Hebrew scholar who doesn't believe that the writer of Genesis meant to convey just that view. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> One of the world's most renowned Hebraists, a scholar of Hebrew, James Barr of Oxford University wrote this quote, So far as I know, there is no professor of Hebrew or Old Testament at any world-class university who does not believe that the writer or writers of Genesis 1-11 through intended to convey to readers these two ideas. That the creation took place in a series of six days, which were the same as the days of 24 hours we now experience, and that the figures contained in Genesis and in the genealogies provided by simple addition a chronology from the beginning of the world up to later stages in the biblical story. That's a pretty powerful quote. So you're saying that almost all Jewish people, at least conservative Jewish people, believe you know, uh, that, that the earth is 6,000 years old, roughly? I, what I'm saying is, those who understand Hebrew and look at the Hebrew text of Genesis, right. almost none of them would say that the, who wrote that, whether, regardless of what they believe, personally, whoever wrote that meant to convey all six 24-hour days. Okay? We can, get, we can definitely get deeper into this in, in future studies when we get into the words of the study of the word yom, which is the, word, the Hebrew word for day, or in plural, yomim. But yom and yomim are used 410 times elsewhere in the Bible, and every single time it always means a literal 24-hour day. The word yom used in conjunction with laya, or laila, which is night, day and night, right? The, day, the evening and the morning, those combinations of words used uh, another 300 and something times in the rest of scripture always conveys the day and night of a literal 24 hour day. This would be the only time in scripture you could poet you could apply it as poetry or you could um, 
insinuate that there is any kind of different meaning to that word in the entire Hebrew text than what it literally means as a 24-hour day. So anyone who reads it in English or in Latin or in another translation might have their own ideas about what whether this was a literal young earth six-day creation or whether this is, is some sort of epic tale that's meant to be taken figuratively, right? That no one who studies Hebrew thinks this was supposed to be taken figuratively. They may still believe that now, but they think, they all agree that the writer meant to convey that this was literally a six-day creation. So we could spend, again, many weeks expounding on the words, the definitions, the context, the syntax of the Hebrew scriptures, and then the translations, and we may do that at some point in this series, depending on how long you really want me to stand up here and keep talking. Um, <laughs> just for now. Two and a half more years. Two and a half more years, that's right. For now, let's, let's, say, let's just say this for now. If Genesis is read without presupposition or bias, the first blank that you have there under the timing of the account, if it's read without presupposition or bias, Genesis can only be interpreted as a narrative account of God's complete and perfect creation in one week about 6,000 years ago. If read without presupposition and bias, that is the only way you can interpret this account. Many Christians think that if we just take each of the days of the creation account as being figurative, long ages, hundreds of thousands of years each, then we can harmonize the Bible with the Big Bang. And, they, and harmonize it also with the supposed geological evidence for an old earth. But they, this is generally called the day-age theory, if you haven't heard that term before. The day-age theory means that each day of Genesis, and only Genesis, is, is an age, or an epoch, right, or an era, instead of a day. The day-age theory and progressive um, creationism, if you've heard that term, theistic evolution, the gap theory, the framework hypothesis, which is a fairly new one, if you're not familiar with that, and other old earth positions postulate millions of years of death, disease, violence, and extinction in the animal kingdom and in, in the world long before man is ever on the scene. But this is absolutely contradictory to the Bible's teachings about sin and death occurring after the creation and the corruption of man. We talked about the five C's of or the seven C's of history, and the three that really matter for Genesis is the creation, the corruption of man, and the fall of sin, and then the catastrophe of the flood. That's really where we'll focus a lot on. But the Bible says, if you believe the Bible, the Bible says that there was no sin, there was no death, there was no violence, there was no disease until man sinned. But evolution says it was part of the process. And for you to believe the day-age theory, or the gap theory, or theistic evolution, or pre-progressive creationism, you have to accept that God used death and disease and violence and struggle as a process to bring about what he says is his perfect creation. 
then your God is claiming that death and disease and violence and struggle is perfect. So you see the, the struggle there with trying to put these two things together. These views are based on the false assumption, and I will say the false assumption, that science has proven long ages through things such as, they, they claim much more proofs, but I'm only going to name three, things such as radiometric dating methods, carbon-14 dating and other things, distant starlight, right? The stars are so far away, when we calculate how far they are away, it must mean that it takes millions of years for light to travel that far. If it was only thousands of years, we couldn't see the light. Okay? And the other that I would bring up is how long it supposedly takes for rock layers to form in the earth. Okay? Their view is that it's laid down by sedimentation over years and years and years and years and years. Because of those things, they have the false assumption that science proves an old earth. So anyone who believes in a young earth is believing contra contrary to scientific proof. But the old earth views were only developed about 200 years ago. After Christians began to abandon the orthodox view of the traditional account in the Bible that had predominantly controlled everyone's worldview for 1,800 years. But all of these old earth um, views are all convoluted attempts by well-meaning sometimes, but always weak-willed scholars to bridge the supposed gap between science and religion. And it only seems reasonable, this is another block here for you, it only seems reasonable to those who pay insufficient attention to the order of events in Genesis 1 and the order of events according to evolutionary theory. And that's what we're going to try to focus on today is that order. So in the Genesis account, that you can read through chapter 1 and 2, especially in Genesis 1. We see on day 1 that God created light. Right? God said, let there be light. And there was light in Genesis 1-4. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And then on day 3, Two days later, he creates plants. But wait, don't plants need the sun? Well, they had light because he created it on day one. And then he created plants on day three. And then he creates the sun, the moon, and the stars on day four. And animals on day five. And then man, finally, on day six. Why did God choose that order? Anybody have a guess of why he would choose that order? Well, I can give you a couple that I would think of. I think God has a sense of humor. Especially in the way that he has revealed himself in my life and how his plan has unfolded in 
contrary in some ways to my plan, but always comes out being the right way to go, I feel like God has a sense of humor. And I feel like God, as we discussed in week one, God created time. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. God created time. He stands outside of time. So when he sees everything from the beginning to the end, he can say, before Abraham was, I am. Because he is outside of the entire timeline that we have to live through chronologically. He can see it all at once. He can speak directly to Abraham and to the 144,000 witnesses during the tribulation. At the same time, as if we want to use that term, because he's outside of time altogether. That's how you are omnipresent. Because our presence is tied to the timeline in space-time, but his presence is not. Right? Again, super deep. But because he created time, he can see that man, at some point, this is my opinion, from the book of second opinions, <laughs> he can see that at some point in time, man is going to say, Son is the power that gives us life. The sun must be God. And God said, no. I'm going to make the sun after I make light. So that you've got to try to figure out where the light come from before the sun. Okay? I think God has a sense of humor. But I do think specifically to why the sun was not created on day one. Why God created light and then replaced it with the sun. Right? I think two reasons sort of jumped out at me. One, God wanted to underscore the supernatural origin of life, of life, clearly showing that life did not come from the sun, but from him. In God's design, the sun is admittedly critical for the continuation of life on earth. We talked about God made and maintained, the maintaining of creation. The sun is critical, but the sun was not critical to the making of everything to the original creation. John Calvin, everybody's heard that name, right? John Calvin commented on Genesis 1, the Lord, by the very order of creation, bears witness that he holds in his hand the light, which he is able to impart to us without the sun or the moon. I think that's a very powerful quote. And it, of course, stands contrary to evolutionary ideology that says the pre-existent sun and the other stars contributed to the rise of all life forms on Earth. Okay? We'll see that in a minute. But I think the second thing that jumps out for me is that God wanted to undermine humanity's inclination to worship the sun as a deity and as a giver of life. God specifically forbade his people from worshiping the sun or the moon or any of the hosts of heaven. You can see that in Deuteronomy 17, and I think also in chapter 4, but we'll look at Deuteronomy 17, chapter, or chapter 17, verse 3. Deuteronomy 17, 3. I will back up to 2. If there be found among you within any of the gates which the Lord thy God giveth thee, man or woman, that hath wrought wickedness in the sight of the Lord thy God, in transgressing his covenant, in verse 3, and hath gone and served other gods and worshipped them, either the sun or the moon or any of the hosts of heaven, which I have not commanded. And it be told thee, and thou hast heard of it, and inquired diligently, and behold, it be true, and the thing certain, 
that such abomination is wrought in Israel. And then he goes on and says the punishment for worshiping the sun, the moon, or any of the hosts of heaven. God did not command them to worship them. He commanded them not to worship them. That's repeated again in Psalm 121. But sadly, there are countless historical references to societies and groups around the world throughout history worshiping the sun, worshiping the moon, worshiping the stars, worshiping planets, Romans, God, God Jupiter and Saturn, and you know, they, make, they have the gods that they developed from astronomy and then they name the planets after the gods they're already worshiping, right? It's a very vicious cycle. But then sadly also, on top of that, when God's people were cast out of their land by the Babylonians at the hand of God for their punishment, even in his temple in Jerusalem, the people were worshiping the sun. And we see that in Ezekiel chapter 8 and Jeremiah chapter 8. The people also worshiped the bronze serpent that Moses crafted to show their God's healing of the people in the desert. And we saw that in 2 Kings 18 and Numbers 21. Frequently, frequently, far too frequently, Unredeemed humanity has, as Paul wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the Romans, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Good morning. <laughs> and we see that, that's obviously from Romans chapter 1, verse 25. So the graphic that you have there on your, on your handout, this is a very simplified representation of the order of events according to evolution and the order of events according to creation. Evolution. Approximately 15 billion years ago, I think this graphic is actually a little old, I think they're pushing 20 billion now. Right? When I was a kid, it was 4 billion. So, we're, we're learning more and we have to add more billions and billions and billions and billions of years to make this make sense. The Bible hasn't added anything. Except that we're tracking down this way, right? Where it started is where it started. We don't have to change that. So, but we're, I digress. Big Bang Theory states all the nothing in the universe condensed to a spinning orb the size of probably one of these periods on your page. All the nothing contracted into all the something and then exploded into everything. Okay? About 15 billion years ago. Then the stars came out of that explosion of everything about 10 billion years ago. The sun, being one of those stars, forms and gets to its current level about 5 billion years ago. And then we have a molten earth that appears about 4.5 billion years ago. That's key that it was molten, right? Then about 3.8 billion years ago, there's some oceans. Now if you see there, that's Explosion, and light, and heat, and heat, and heat, and heat, and maybe then some water at the end. Okay? But what did God do? According to Genesis, God created the heaven and the earth. On day one, he made the earth without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, because water covered the earth. The earth that God made was completely covered in water. Now we're seeing the opposition here. The earth that evolution claims is completely covered in molten rock. The earth that God made is covered in water. And then out of the water, he brings dry land, he makes plants, 
right? And he makes the sun, the moon, and the stars on day four, day five, the sea and the flying creatures, and he makes the flying creatures out of the water. I don't know how much time people pay, pay attention to that. That in Genesis chapter one, for day four, God says, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that they may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Okay, that's Genesis 1, 20. The waters brought forth the birds. That's, okay. So, then we have land animals and man on day 6. So between day 5 and 6, we have the animals and man. So these things are completely contrary to each other. The contradictions in the in photographic representation are one thing, but we can actually list some of them out, and that's the whole second page you have here. Evolution says the sun came first, and then the earth. Creation says the earth came before the sun. Evolution says there was dry land before there was water, but creation says there was a sea, right, before there was dry land. All of it was one big seed. Actually, creation says that the earth was completely covered in water twice. Because it was completely covered in water when it was created, and it was completely covered in water when it was destroyed. But in Noah's day, with the flood. So both of those times, it's that it spits in the face of evolutionary theory. I think there's a purpose to that. I think evolution is completely diametrically opposed to creation on purpose because of where it came from. And we'll get to that later when we talk about Charles Darwin. The evolution says that the sun came before there was light on earth, but the Bible, as we just discussed, there was light on earth, day one, before there was ever a sun. Stars before the earth, earth before the stars. Earth at the same time as all the other planets because they all exploded out of the same nothing. But the Bible says that the earth came first, and then the other hosts of heaven, including the other planets. That changes your focus. If the earth is just another planet, it's not important. But if the earth was created specially before everything else, there's a focus of attention there. Sea creatures created before, or came about before land plants, according to evolution. But land plants came about before sea creatures in creation. Earthworms before starfish, starfish before earthworms. Land animals before trees, trees before land animals. Death before man, we talked about that quite a bit. Man before death. Thorns and thistles before man because of the death and the disease and all of that. But the Bible says that man came first and then the thorns and the thistles were a punishment. Right? TB pathogens and cancer have been found in the bones of dinosaur fossils. But if dinosaurs existed millions and millions of years before man, that means that there was cancer and tuberculosis and other diseases well before man. But the Bible says it was man, and then all of that came as a product of the fall. Reptiles before birds, I actually have something we can talk about this in a, in a follow-on study, um, is a chart, a uh, poster, if you will, about birds and dinosaurs and how evolution tries to claim that birds came from dinosaurs. But the Bible says the birds came first and then the dinosaurs were made. 
land mammals before whales, but the Bible in First Genesis, uh, or First Genesis, Genesis one twenty one, the first chapter of Genesis, verse twenty one, says that the mammals, uh, oh, sorry, whales were created before the land animals. You have simple plants in evolution leading to fruiting trees, but then in creation we see fruit trees created before the other plants. Insects before mammals, but the Bible says that the cattle were created before the creeping things. Even if they were on the same day, they were created first. They were listed first. Uh, land mammals before bats, but bats fly in the air, so they had to have been created before the land mammals. Which I think is also another fascinating study we may get into, where we consider a bat to be a mammal. And according to evolution, mammals came after birds and reptiles and other family, you know, family groups of animals. So if if it's a mammal, but it's also flying, the Bible says it was created with the other animals that flew. Evolution's trying to say it was a mammal that then learned how to fly or some other not, such nonsense. Right? Again, another contradiction in order of events. Dinosaurs before birds, birds before dinosaurs, we just talked about that. Insects before flowering plants flowering plants before insects. This one is super key, and we're going to talk about it next week when we get into plants specifically. Uh, the fact that most plants require uh, pollinization. They require a pollinator, either a bird or an insect. Right? And if the plants were created on day four, the animals were created on day five and six, if that's a hundred that million years of a day, how did any of those plants survive without something to pollinate them? Very key. And it's it's a question that evolution, that the progressive evolutionists cannot answer. The day-age theory does not answer if there's a wasp that's born inside of the fruit of a plant that eats the fruit of that plant to grow, to be able to leave that plant to pollinate another plant so that that one doesn't die, and then lays an egg inside the fruit of that plant when it pollinates it, so that another wasp can grow to do the same thing. Those plants would all die if the wasp didn't exist a day later, two days later, as opposed to a hundred million years later. We would not be able to see that plant. We would have no evidence of this process. So we'll get into lots of examples of uh, the, that sort of symbiotic relationship, the symbiosis between plants and animals and the sun next week. Also, dinosaurs before dolphins, dolphins before dinosaurs, land reptiles before pterosaurs, but as we talked about, if it was flying, God created it out of the water, okay, before he created the land animals. So, the Bible and both land insects before flying insects, because evolution says that they developed from the water to the land, they were creeping things, and eventually they learned how to fly. Right? And that's where evolution says once they learn to fly, then later there was the pollinization of plants. So plants like flowers and fruit trees didn't exist at the beginning, you know, three or four billion years ago. Only things like cedar trees and firs that were coniferous, that didn't need pollinization, would be able to exist first and then on and on and on. So evolution, creation, there's no match. Nothing agrees. The day-age theory cannot stand. Progressive evolution cannot stand. Someone who is a staunch atheist, a learned evolutionary biologist, gives no stock to 
any of those theories. Someone who is a learned creationist, a trained scientist who understands that the Bible does not refute science, does not give any stock to that. As I said, it's weak-willed people that want to have a non-confrontational approach to religion. Sometimes hyper-dispensationalists, as Pastor has talked about, where they want to write off parts of the Bible and parts of history that don't apply to us. Those, those situations where a pastor can stand in a pulpit for 30 years and never preach a sermon out of the book of Genesis is a disservice, yeah. right? It's a disservice because there's so much information in those first 11 chapters of the Bible that are the foundation of the entirety of what we believe. Every, almost every biblical principle in the rest of the Bible can be tied back to Genesis 1 through 11. And if you don't believe what it's founded on, how can your belief stand? We said a couple weeks ago on, the, the, uh, on that topic of faith, that faith is a foundational concept. It has to, it's not just belief. It is belief on something. And the strength of your faith is only as strong as what your faith is founded on. If your faith is founded on a man, it's probably going to fail. And that will hurt both of you. If your faith is founded on a theory, it's probably going to fail. And that's only going to hurt you. The theory never cares. But if your faith is founded on God, He never fails. Amen. And neither does your faith have to. Amen? Okay, I think it's a good stopping point for this week. And then we'll jump off into, as I said, plants specifically. Yes, anybody need a review of the plants? The first point in number three and, the, and under A and the I okay. missed number two under B entirely. Sorry. How about I just go through? Yep. Genesis can only be interpreted as a narrative account, meaning it's telling a story directly as it happened. No, no poetry, no figurative imagery, no making it up. A narrative account of God's complete and perfect creation in one week about 6,000 years ago. Number two under A, the day-age theory and other old earth positions absolutely contradict the Bible's teaching about sin and death occurring after the creation and corruption of man. Number three, these old earth views developed about 200 years ago and only seem reasonable to those who pay insufficient attention to the order of events. Then under the order of events, number one, in the Genesis account, light was created on day one, plants on day three, the sun, moon, and stars on day four, animals on day five, and man on day six. And then number two there, God did not create the sun on day one, but on day three. This shows, again, from the book of Second Opinions, that life did not come from the sun, but from God. And it reminds us to worship God alone. I don't think I actually said it that way. That's probably what I missed it. But it reminds us to worship God alone. Good? All right. Thanks for your attention and your interaction. Go ahead and pray and we'll move on to the service.